0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Aneptus Stardis. My name is Ned and this is episode 15. I've got some exciting stuff here today to talk about. Uh, We need to talk about the Nova reveals from last week. We need to answer some listener questions, get to a few things that are uh, cleanup business from a few episodes previous, and then also get into uh, the Demon Engine rules that were promised when they were released a while ago. Those Demon Engine rules are already up on YouTube, but they're being included here as well, and since I've had a little bit more time to think about them, I will be adding some additional comments on the end of that clip as well. But before we get into that, just a little bit of something else. As always, I really want to thank you for being here, and of course, I would like to ask you to subscribe if you're listening to the podcast or if you're watching on YouTube. Consider liking the video or sharing the video, passing around the podcast if you enjoy it. Leave some comments, um, give me some feedback, let me know what you think. I can also be reached on aneptisastardis30k at gmail.com. That's where I really like to hear from people who want like, have specific questions they want uh, put into the videos, whatever. Like if you want to be the next person featured as I build lists or whatever else, send me a message and uh, we'll see what I can do for you. There are a couple of other channel announcements that I'd like to make. First of all, again, a uh, reminder that there is a link in the bio to tip the channel if you want to support in that way. It's really helpful. It's a way to support the finances behind things, which of course are not like huge, but it's still uh, something that I've got to spend to keep this on the air. So I really do appreciate that support. Secondly, um, I've actually reopened a new merch shop. Um, It's only got a couple of designs on there right now, but you can take a look if you want to support the channel through, through a little bit of that. Put some of the official art on the channel, including a new shirt to support everyone's favorite co-host, uh, Hazel, who is, by the way, feeling much better and maybe on the next video that I show, she'll actually be allowed to come sit on the couch. The last thing though, is something that I actually really need help with. There's gonna be a link in the show notes for the podcast and um, on the YouTube channel as well for a survey. Um, I'm trying to write a new video coming out soon and I need some data regarding the way that people play the game. Um, it's it's uh, It shouldn't take too long. And I really need as many people to fill it out as possible so I've got some interesting things to say when the video finally comes out. Uh, I've been really intrigued lately by some of the larger discussions that I see on places like YouTube um, talking about or debating the state of the game and it made me think of a few things and so I'm trying to put something together and your data would really be useful in order for me to paint a picture that is accurate of our wonderful little community. So, like I said, uh, all of those links are down below, and I really appreciate your help. Here's a question. I've been enjoying the Militia content, but I was wondering if you were going to do any other Imperial content, especially from the uh, Imperial book. I think, yeah, they just mean like the good guy book. Um, The non-Space Marine book. Are you going to cover the Solar Ox in any way? Okay, so I have been doing some Militia, a a couple of Militia videos and um, i am planning another one actually shortly hopefully by the end of this week my plan is to make a video covering a few examples of how you could employ the militia as an allied force to represent them fighting alongside the space marines from specific moments in the horus heresy lore i'm excited about that one i'm just finishing up a couple of lists hopefully have that recorded soon the reason why i'm not going to cover the solar ox is entirely selfish so some of you um, if you've been listening to the podcast for long, you know that when I started off, I really enjoyed bashing on certain legions, making fun of certain things. And I do still enjoy doing that. But one of the legions that I would bash on the most was the Iron Hands because I thought their Primarch is dumb. I still do think he's dumb. but But basically, like, through talking about them, whatever, trashing them. And then I kept getting requests from people to talk about the Iron Hands and to write lists for them about the Iron Hands. And so basically, as I started playing with them more, I realized more and more that there was actually some kind of cool stuff in there and then i ended up with like five thousand points of iron hands for adapticon this year so my self-control and excitement especially once i get into a project especially once i start looking at ways to attach it to the lore and whatever it gets out of control now the the standard infantry models for the solar Ox are so cool so unbelievably cool they're like um, they're just absolutely fantastic sculpts and I love them to death. And I painted up a squad of five, I think it was just a command squad for someone for a, for a secret sandal last year. And I had so much fun painting them, I enjoyed those models. So I can't uh, cover them because I don't want to end up buying a Solarox army. How's that sound? They are fantastic, they are great, and I would, I would probably love, realistically, love and enjoy making content on their stratagems and rules and a little bit of their story and history, but for my own safety and the looming number of projects and my inner hobby raccoon I have to decline. The next question is a little bit about counterplay and deals with one of the units that I have pointed out as a potential issue in the game so far this last year. This listener asks, do you have any input on dealing with heavy weapon teams? My friend always brings at least one with last cannons, sometimes one with last cannons, and one with vulkites. I feel like I'm constantly trying to dance around them, trying to figure out what to do about them, and it's becoming very frustrating. Do you have any suggestions on how to deal with this? You know what? Indeed I do. This is something that I think a lot about, actually, and I think a lot about the different ways that... Um, heavy weapon teams can uh, interact with the board. I talked before, it might even have been the last episode, I don't know, I've got an old man brain, but um, the the thing about last cannon teams, um, or heavy weapon teams in general, but LAS cannon teams in particular, is the fact that not only are they pretty cheap for what they do, but... They have a fair amount of survivability in the fact that they're just blanket models, so they can just absorb a couple hits and still be firing last cannons back. The last cannon itself, now that it's got Sunder, is pretty strong, and then also the new reaction format means that one squad can potentially shoot four times um, before your next turn, or fr- from the start of your turn until the start of your next turn. Because you can shoot once in your shooting phase. If your opponent tries to deep strike something, you could intercept as long as you take a 10 point piece of war gear called the Agri Scanner, which you're going to take because that's dumb brainer. And then you could shoot in return fire if somebody shoots at you. And then you could overwatch as well. And so like those last cannons become just way better considering how many times you get to use them and just how important uh, or how, how powerful those things are, especially like I said, with the introduction of Sunder. So anyway, here are the Anepsis to start as official top five ways to deal with heavy support squads. The first one, and this is actually my number one tip here, is to pin them. That's easier said than done, but uh, there's one way that's really easy to get this done, and that is with a telepathy librarian. So the telepathy librarian has a power which causes, um, on a successful psychic test, you can pick one unit within 24 inches, and you cause that unit to not be able to use reactions. Uh, until the start of your next turn so with just a simple psychic test you can just point at a unit and say no you cannot react now considering just how powerful and scary those reaction that reaction fire can be um, this is unbelievably power especially against a squad like a heavy heavy support heavy last cannon squad more than once um, i've been running these pretty consistently with my white scars and it's really useful to shut down a last cannon team So you can shoot it with Volkite bikes or so you can charge in with your Golden Keshig and not worry about just dying. Quite honestly, without this pinning beforehand, it would make surviving those sorts of things nearly impossible. The next thing you can do is you can use Recon Marines to try to get a pin as well. The big thing about Recon Marines in this regard, Recon Marines are already pretty decent because they score. They're a little bit farther away. Uh, They're considered farther away because of their Shroud Bombs their nemesis bolters that you can give them are 72 inch range so you can actually outrange those las cannons the biggest thing the biggest problem here is that you still have to cause a wound and then you still have to get your opponent to fail that pinning check which is definitely not guaranteed so this is not the like necessarily best way to do it but recon marines might be something that you were considering taking already and so just one squad for a chance to pin something it's not terrible considering you might just be taking this before an infiltrating you know troop choice that can score on objectives turn one so that's pretty great Considering, and especially like if you're one of those players like m- me and uh, my friend Dark Apostle Ben, we're primarily playing the uh, Siege of Chthonia missions, and most of those have scoring right away every turn. And so the line of choices are more important than ever, and this is another way that you can get something out of it and you know, give them something to do, give them a job. The next thing is the Scorpius. The reason why the Scorpius makes this on this list is because um, as an artillery platform, you can fire without line of sight so you can hide this tank from the heavy weapon support squad which you're going to want to do because otherwise it will not survive the return fire but the rocket barrage special rule says that so long as this model does not move in the movement phase then it's pie plate you know um, five inch template becomes rending four up and gains pinning so as long as you've got some tactical squads or something somewhere with a Nuncio Vox to help make this blast a little bit more accurate, and you don't move the thing, then you can be causing pinning tests. And also, more importantly, you have the chance to like remove a large percentage of this squad. It's strength 8, so you're going to be wounding on a 2+, and you're going to be instant killing anything that's just a marine template under there. It's pretty good, and, and the, uh, the the biggest thing about this, the Scorpius is really cheap. It's only like 120 points. One of the reasons why that matters so much is that, again, one of the things that the heavy support squad has going for it is that it's so relatively cost-effective for the amount of unbelievable offensive firepower that it has. So a lot of the solutions that you're gonna see later on, you're gonna realize that some of them end up being like less cost-effective than you want them to be, considering you know i mean like yeah you can take out the heavy support squad but if you spend 500 points killing the 200 point heavy support squad you aren't necessarily coming out that far ahead but pinning in general is pretty effective because um anything you can do to either kill these models or prevent them from acting or making them snap fire uh, pinned units can't react and so there's lots of ways that you can keep them from having such powerful agency in the game The next best thing to do, in my opinion, is to swarm the models, and that's basically just going to cover them up or engage them so that they can't be firing their weapons. And there's a lot of different ways that you can think about doing this. One is to... there's a lot of different ways you can think about doing this. All of them have slight drawbacks, though, and almost all of these require a fair amount of putting your cheese in the wind, so to speak. Um, which is why this is number two on the list as opposed to number one. So the first thing is that you could engage them with some sort of fast moving unit that jumps in and simply just holds on them in any way, shape, or form. Almost no heavy support squad is going to be placed out in front in some way that it makes it easy to charge them. So you might have to get creative or you might have to use specialty units to get this done. So what can you use for something like that? Well, assault squads are not bad for this. Assault squads are a troop choice. They do have line. They are, I think, a little bit less effective than other of the scoring troop choices, but the biggest thing is that you can capitalize on their mobility to move them around the board. They can come in very large squads. You can upgrade them with weapons if you want to, like power weapons and such, or you can just keep them cheap and just spend all the points that you want into putting more bodies into the squad. A Legion Assault Squad with 10 Marines based costs 145 points, and they're 12 points each additionally from that point. With that, you're getting the Jump Pack, of course, Frag and Crack Grenades, a Bolt Pistol, and a Chainsword. So the Bolt Pistol and Chainsword, this means that you're going to have an offensive, a a basic offensive um, input over that Heavy Support Squad, so you're probably going to whittle them down and kill them over time. The biggest thing, of course, is that you're not likely to lose a close combat against a heavy support squad, and you're going to hold them in place and keep them from shooting. Can you add additional things, like can you give them some, uh, you know, like you can upgrade your sergeant to have artificer armor if you want, you can give a power weapon for 5 points, one for every 5 models in the unit, so that's a pretty cheap way to do that, so you could get a couple of power weapons in there to sort of do the job a little bit better and more effectively. And most importantly, especially if you bump up the squat just a little bit, then you'll have a couple of ablative wounds to take um, the hits from being shot at, being overwatched as you charge in, that sort of thing. Now, I want to point out that while ideally you want to get there with like enough Marines to carry the day and to do the thing and to take them out, if you are clever in your positioning, even a, an assault squad which is lacking a, a, a number of members, it doesn't have enough to do the job itself, if you have one assault marine left and they charge into a heavy support squad, if that heavy support squad uses the reaction to overwatch and kills that assault marine, which probably will happen, they still have used the reaction allotment. And they have also, uh, even if you have double reactions in that phase that unit has reacted once already in that phase and can't again so then if you have a more delicate or more fragile the last cannon like squad of terminators or elite close combat unit then they get a free charge into whatever else that you that you're trying to into that heavy support squad so you can try to kill them so the assault squad is a good example of a unit that can like go around the edges target something on the flank get into a heavy support squad and keep them from having that offensive firepower. Now, you can also just try to accomplish this through like a deep strike assault. Um, You can deep strike very close to the front line of your opponent, get tied in, especially if you're going with a list that has quite a few elements in that deep strike. once you charge in your opponent will have less opportunities to shoot you because once you're engaged in combat you cannot be shot the biggest thing of course here is that you are guaranteeing that you're going to have to eat an interceptor reaction that is at least if they're not pinned now that it's important to note that the deep strike movement the deep strike deployment when you set up specifically for those things after you deploy but before the interceptor reaction can take place your opponent does have to take a pinning check every unit must check to see if it's pinned as long as there's like one enemy squad within six inches of them so you can still force pinning checks on these heavy support teams here you can get a chance to do that and then if they aren't pinned like i said if it's a if it's a las cannon squad and they really want to fire and kill a bunch of uh, standard assault marines then okay fine you're using up that reaction allotment and you are getting that out of the way the other thing you can do as well is that if you try to throw something that's a little bit thicker at the heavy support squad, then you have a chance of actually getting in there, and then the last cannons don't hurt quite as much as they would. So anything that's multi wound and toughness five, so like ogrins, certain demons, a lot of the models in the Mechanicum range, those can be great models to charge after uh, heavy support squads because the last cannons will still hurt, they will still cause wounds, but they won't be causing instant death and there's at least a chance to make some of those, especially a lot of those squads I mentioned have the chance for invulnerable saves as well. So you at least got a chance to negate some of those wounds. The biggest problem here is that a lot of those units that I suggested, they end up being quite costly, if not more costly than the squad that they're trying to take out. So again, it feels sometimes like you're trading a bigger piece for a smaller piece, and that's not necessarily great. The third option here is then is just a move I'll call the Pawn Sacrifice, and that's just basically where you're going to take a look at one of your units, and you're going to say, this unit can kill or nearly entirely negate that heavy support last cannon team. Um, I'm just going to accept that they're going to die in the return fire. Now, a straight trade on something like this is not necessarily a bad tactic at all. You're trading points for points in that regard, and it really can be helpful if you have a unit that can perform this task, so long as you've built your list in a way that means that you have other threats that you know you're not necessarily relying on that that one thing to do everything so like um if you have an anti-infantry option um that can pretty reliably remove most if not all of that last cannon team then it might not be a bad idea to take it however if you're trading last cannon team for last cannon team and you have not planned really well for anti-tank in other regards that's a trade that can leave you feeling a little bit uneasy, so to speak. However, a straight up trade, as long as you've planned for it, built it in, and realized understand what it's gonna be, I mean, it can be pretty effective. Especially if you're playing the sort of game in which you are going to be opening yourself up for lots of reaction play from your opponent, and that last cannon team is going to be doing a lot of work in regards. Basically, if you're playing like a um, list that has a heavy deep strike element, uh it can be a pretty good idea on turn one to just full-on sacrifice a unit to destroy your opponent's heavy support team so that they don't cause unbelievable havoc in disrupting your plans for deep strike assault on turn two or turn three but again that's the sort of thing you need to figure out and that's going to be dependent upon your list Because, again, how many different squads are going to be able to fill the role that you're trying to fill in this regard? If you only have one that does the job and you sacrifice it to kill a heavy support squad that is ultimately sub 300 points, um, then you are going to be putting yourself on the back foot a little bit in that game. The fourth option is just having too many options for your opponent to choose between. So one of the things that's interesting, for example, and I was just talking to my friend Ben about this yesterday, We played a game, and he was playing his Salamanders, he was trying something out, a new list, and I was trying out a new list as well. He didn't bring very many transports, and I didn't really bring any anti-tank or vehicles in any regard whatsoever. Now, one of the things that made that game less complicated for me was because of the fact that he did not have that many uh, vehicles on the board, My small selection of anti-tank, because I was running a Serpent's Bane list with a Modified Demons detachment, I didn't have a ton of anti-tank, it wasn't present everywhere. Because he didn't have that many things to force me to choose between, it meant that basically um, my few anti-tank choices knew exactly what they were going to do all game. That was an easy choice for them. Now the Rhino is basically just like a minivan with Kevlar vests strapped to the side, but those are Kevlar Vests that are still going to take a couple hits and require that your opponent actually do something about them. Um, And it's really useful in a game where last cannon teams are everywhere. One of the biggest weaknesses that a last cannon team has is that no matter how many models you put into that squad to shoot, it can only shoot and delete one unit per turn. So if you are giving your opponent, um, your opponent does have like one really strong heavy support team, but you're giving them um, six transports to choose between, yeah, they can delete one a turn, but your dudes inside are probably going to be okay, even if they're now stranded, but that still leaves like, what, five more on the board that can still run uh, up to objectives, scoot out real quick. And then you've got these vehicles that, again, just cause a general nuisance and still require a appropriate response. In some situations, even a more than appropriate response, an excessive response. Um, now, this is a little bit this different in this edition, because with the way crack grenades now work and them auto-hitting at strength six, this means that rhinos and uh, predators, for example, are basically toast if a tactical squad comes near them, just hugs them to death. But in the meantime, uh, that's something that your opponent still can do. However, you know if, if they are in an out of place way or in a situation and they are required to be shot at, you're going to need something stronger than small arms fire to take them down, and that means, potentially, your opponent's going to have to direct energy and time to focus on killing something real stupid, like a a rhino. If you give your opponent several um, 300 or lower adjusted point cost units to to, uh, look at, then it's not an automatic decision for them to decide which of those things to shoot with their last cannons and anytime you can force your opponent to make more choices they are likely to make mistakes and these are mistakes that then you can capitalize the last one number five is not really much of a solution at all but it does get at one of the um uh, maybe one of the grimmer parts of the reality of the game to this phase um the last thing i think you can consider doing is ignoring them all together now i don't necessarily recommend this um, because this basically means that you're going to give them several turns of free shooting. But if you do not have a unit to sacrifice and get rid of them that you can afford to do so, if you do not have a way to reliably pin them and hold them into place, um, then by ignoring them at the least, you are limiting their offensive capability to simply their one turn or one shooting phase per turn. So you are not charging them, so you're not giving them a chance to shoot and kill a unit. You are not uh, shooting at them to allow them to return fire and destroy something. Basically, if you ignore them, you uh, eliminate their ability to interact with the reaction economy of the game, and that in itself is a bit of a win. Now, there are other things and factors that are going to have to line up with this for this whole concept and idea to make sense. Um, You're going to need to have enough units uh, to survive the weathering of this sort of thing. Like I said, if you're just bringing like one Spartan, for example, and you're going to, your plan is to ignore the heavy weapon team, well, that might be a problem because that one Spartan is just gonna get free plinked uh, as long as you aren't using sm- smart using cover. However, you can hide units um, by getting into close combat. You can create bottlenecks where they really need to kill certain things in order to prevent you from scoring too easily and you can dictate the the course of their actions and like i said if you just don't shoot at them don't interact with them on your turn then you really cripple their ability to do a lot of damage obviously like of all of these options there's a reason why i think pinning is the best because if you pin that unit then you have the ability to interact with it in any way, shape, or form you do on your turn without fear of reactions. You can hold them into place, you can prevent them from acting on their own turn, etc. Charging them, tying them up, those are all good things. Sadly though, I I do think that just ignoring them is a valid option because the reaction system is so strong and the heavy support team with their ability to both very, very effectively cripple infantry squads um, and also just absolutely destroy armor and even have a pretty good shot at putting a big hurt on dreadnoughts means that they get a chance to interact with almost everything on the board and they have the reaction system they have easy access to extra reactions because of augury scanner or whatnot so that they can interact with and damage almost anything on the board and have a chance to do it uh, up to four times in a turn i hope that helps listener The next thing that we absolutely have to talk about is the really nuts um, set of releases that we got from Nova and then the news afterwards about the upcoming book. So it has been pretty long speculated, seeing that a lot of Mark III had been taken off of the Forge World website, that we were going to see a plastic update to the Mark III kit. And we did, in fact, get that. We have new sculpts that looks like they're going to be in scale with the Mark VI armor as far as stature. And as some people have pointed out, also looks like they're going to be based heavily upon that Mark VI. If we take a look at the poses that we've seen on the website, they, it looks like they are posed in very similar ways. And very similar also to the fact that the sergeants demonstrated in the new art are, in fact, um, they've got the right-hand power fist and the left-hand plasma pistol, just like the Mark VI did. If I can sidebar... That is one of my least favorite things about the new Mark VI kit, is the lack of just bolt pistols. Um, so I'm a little annoyed about that, but I mean like small quibble, small quibble so far. Now, not everyone will like the new Mark Three, but I, I actually kind of dig it. There are some things, some changes people are noting, or just, dis- I don't wanna say despairing, but people are noting, for example, the change to the, sh- uh, the knee pads and the shoulder pads, a couple different things. The heads are, I really like the heads, and the backpacks look pretty cool, though we can't really get a great picture of the back, of the models from the back, and the shoulder pads are designed differently. The trim is, it looks like, to be smaller than the standard Mark III, I think. Now, on top of this, we also get to see that the Derradeo which, you know, we, we knew that another dreadnought was coming from the the roadmap, so this, again, is not a surprise, but we get to see the plastic Daredeo. What's interesting is that it's going to come out together um, with a Legionus Estardis Battle Group box, which is going to have 30 Marines, a special Legion special weapons set containing five lots each of Plasma Guns, uh, melt guns Rotor Cannons, Volkite Chargers, and Calibers. We will also get a Land Raider, and with the Derridao. So 30 bodies with a set of special weapons, so you can mix things up, and then also just like this, you know standard uh, tactical squad sprue. This could be a really good box. And if it ends up being like, I don't know, 200 to $250, I would see people buying this up all over the place. I guess it really depends on if you want the Mark III. However, with, four, with the current prices being what they are, if it ends up being about $200 or so, uh, a Land Raider regular price is $90. The Contemptor Dreadnought running you somewhere. This Dareo probably will run you somewhere from 60 to 80. That means that you're looking at getting 30 Marines for roughly $30, and then also the Special Weapons Kit. So it's it, it would be a really good deal if it sticks at that price point. We will see. Now that alone would be pretty nice if you were especially looking at vamping up your Legions, um, building a new force, and you weren't just. Crazy about the sleekness of the Beaky Marines. We'll we'll see though what comes next. I'm taking a look at these kits and realizing the differences. It, it I th- I don't know. I want to see a side by side comparison, but I am not sure that the trim, the trim might be different enough on these shoulder pads that if you have, uh, like I do, if you've got stocks of Mark 3 the Forge World Design Legion specific pads, you might not be able to put them on one another. I will tell a small secret, um, I have a bunch of Mark IV shoulder pads that I have been putting onto my Mark VI a little bit because I don't think it looks that different, and because I've already got it and I'm cheap. But I, if, if, the, if the trim ends up being a much different size, then I can see that not working. So, And if that's the case, then I imagine we're going to see another round of upgrade shoulders and heads. which. Well, I hope they don't trickle it out like last time, but I would be interested to see their design on those things. Now, that alone will be pretty interesting as far as options and abilities. Still pretty bummed that there's no Assault Marines yet or a plastic despoiler kit because, you know, the plastic despoilers, um, you know, we need that. One thing that's going to be interesting too, though, is the fact that we. Um, it makes me wonder, will we see then a resin breacher upgrade kit. So people have been talking about getting breachers uh, in plastic for forever. Uh, Mark III Void Armor is essentially, um, you know, just what all the breachers are in. I could totally see GW just putting out a pack of breacher shields and bolters to modify this kit specifically. Probably would end up being cheaper overall to get breachers in this regard, but no, if that were all of the news, that would still be a lot to talk about because, I mean, It's an entirely new way to plan a force with a new visual. I don't think this means you you need to replace your old Mark III by any stretch of the imagination. I know that I won't be replacing my Mark III, although I probably will use this kit to replace all the Mark IV that I use in my Iron Warriors, um, stuff that I got from the Kalth box, or when I first wanted to get into Horus Heresy, uh, and then I can use those Mark IV, strip them, paint them, use them for something else. Now, on any other Newsweek, that would... That would just be plenty, as it is. Um, plenty for us to talk about. But of course, there also has been released this uh, Demon Fulgrim model. And it is going to be, you know, a Horus Heresy exclusive model. It represents Fulgrim after his full transformation. The Angel Exterminatus whole thing. And um, it's, it's an awesome model. It's got wings that are like twice as long as the base model is tall. You're probably going to want to buy one for every location you're ever going to play it so that you don't have to move it anywhere because it looks fragile as heck. I have no idea what that thing's going to be like to build and and paint. I'm glad I don't right now play Emperor's Children, or at least that was my thought when I first saw it, until I saw the release about the next book on the 7th which was yesterday as the time I'm recording this. There's going to be an Exemplary Battles book coming out. It's uh, Horus Heresy Exemplary Battles of the Age of Darkness, most importantly, volume one. So in this book, there's going to be, they're going to be covering some of the Exemplary Battle stuff that they released previously in PDFs. This is, this is, there are a lot of questions here, and I'm going to go over what that tells us and then what I'm hoping it means, but what I think it means. So first of all, it says that what they're going to do is take four of our old favorite scenarios and revamp them for the latest edition of the game, along with a new scenario, and it's all going to be bound in hardback. It will also, of course, feature rules for the new resin, Fulgrim Transfigured, as well as special rules and rights for parti- particularly corrupted hosts of Emperor's Children. So this, it means that we are getting rules for an extremely and more chaos, or most more slaneshified Emperor's Children. It will be really interesting to see if this is going to be like an extension of something onto like the third company elite, which gives you, uh, which is the right of war that lets you like focus on cacophony, or if this is something else entirely like, is it like adding the corrupted template of some sort to all of your emperor's children units? I'm really curious to see how this works. Um, it does tell us so far that the Phoenician has a price tag of 600 points. We get his stats, which are movement nine weapon skill eight ballistic skill six strength toughness and wounds seven initiative eight so he's fast seven attacks leadership ten and a two plus save we also know that he's going to get two melee attack types one is going to be his decapitating slashes which are melee and murderous strike four plus which is pretty great and then also sundering blows which is a strength plus three ap1 Melee, Brutal 2, Wrathful Blows 3, and Unwieldy. So some pretty powerful melee attack bonuses as well. We'll have to see what other rules he comes with. Um, Obviously, we see Wings. That's not immediately reflected in his movement characteristics. So We'll see if he gets this basic standard like Wings rule upgrade as well. We'll see how that works. So the article specifically mentions that there's going to be new and updated rules for Age of Darkness and Zone Mortalis as well. As many campaigns to tie your battle together, we will be. uh, It references specifically the defense of Sotha, the siege of Hydra Cordatus, the battle of Armatura, the battle of Kalth, plus the all new purging of the Invocastus sector. Now, a little bit of simple Google Foo, I couldn't find anything on Invocastus. So I wasn't sure if this is something that existed before, Um, it was referenced before, but I'm not familiar with that term. However, some of those other names reference specifically those battles, which gives us a clue as to some of the stuff that's going to be in this book. Sotha specifically is the supplement that gave us the Atramentar special rules. Hydrochordatus was the one that gave us the Iron Warriors Dominator Cohort Terminators. The Battle of Armatura gave us the Red Hand Destroyer Squad. And the reference Battle of Kalth, well, there's an exemplary battery battle that gives us those nemesis um, squads, those Ultramarine Nemesis squads. Now, it does specifically mention in the paragraph underneath that there are special squads for the Night Lords, Iron Warriors, World Eaters, Ultramarines, and Salamanders, um, including the all-new Salamander Sanctifier squads including um, information on modeling kit bashing and painting guides to complete the look so one of the things that i absolutely love about this and i've talked about this in a couple chats it's the reference to having notes about how to kit bash these these models the biggest question i have for this the biggest hope so prepare for it to be dashed and destroyed is this a change in what was kind of what seemed to be the way that we were going with with horus heresy where we were going to just get rules, main supported rules, for units that had models. Does it mean we're going to get models for these? And I mean, I, I actually wouldn't mind if we don't get any models for any of these units. And instead, we are just encouraged to kitbash them ourselves. Part of the reason I like that is because it just rewards more creativity for us in the, in the, uh, in the hobby. A lot of you know it's it's easy to pick up like bits and kits and like 3d print little you know odds and bobs if we are going to get more of that then it can open up design choices as well so for example one of my biggest hopes and also fears they're saying they're going to give special rules for special squads night lords iron warriors world leaders and ultramarines now does this mean they're just gonna reprint the the rules from the PDF in a book uh, it probably does I really hope that's not the case, though, because there's an opportunity to fix some things now. Night Lords players in particular were really down about the Atramentar as they were updated for the second edition. Uh, they don't have weapon skill five for an elite Terminator unit, which is terrible. But on top of that, there were certain things like the Night Lords, which canonically are originally described as being in cataphracti plate. In uh, in uh, Adam Dembski Bowden's book, um, they are. Tardaros only in the rules. And part of the reason for that is because they wanted you to kitbash this off of the Contectar kit. So like, if they just opened that up, if they just removed that restriction in this set of rules saying you could do either or, pay extra for this, because if they're not trying to tie it specifically to a model line that they already make, if they're going to give us more freedom and encourage us to bash a little bit, then they can be a little bit more open-ended with this sort of thing. I would really love to see that That might be too much optimism on my part, but here's hoping. It also says that the supplement's going to be available to pre-order very soon, along with um, Demon Fulgrim, which is super exciting. We'll get those rules soon, hopefully, and I can't wait to see what it's like. Now, let's hope that they're not planning on just reprinting PDFs, okay? That would be pretty disappointing if that was the case. Um, There does still sound like there's going to be enough interesting things in here, new missions, new and updated missions, new rules for the Emperor's children. Um, That all does sound pretty great. And also the hobby, having more hobby-focused stuff in these books will be fantastic as well. I suppose if the only thing we, if the only downer is just these, these units just get reprinted, I guess I can live with that. If nothing else, as I've been pointing out, and my friend Jake from the Accountability Buddy said this, you know what? Uh, he, he said, I, I didn't want to just see more Sons of Horus and more Imperial Fists. Can't move the goalposts now. This is definitely something to try to address other legions, which is a good step in the right direction. Next up here is going to be the Demon Engines review that I did before when the new book came out, reposted here just for clarity. Oh my gosh, people, we finally have demon rules. Never mind, it's demon engine rules. Reset the clock. All right. I just got done mowing the lawn and I ran downstairs. It is... It's one o'clock on the 15th. This PDF has been out for about four hours. Um, let's go through it. Hottest of hot takes incoming. So first of all, the Corrupted Engine Supplement um, is intended to be used for a Mechanicum army. However, you can also use it. You can get special access to one of these such units if you have a Legion Pravian in a Space Marines Army. So, of course you must be traitor, but let's start with the Legion Pravian and Corrupted Engines rules. So, the Legion Pravian, which is a console upgrade that I have covered before, which uh, I guess my video is now outdated, but the special thing about the Pravian before was your ability to take one unit of Mechanicum Automata. Specifically, that would be the Castlax or the Vorax Battle Automata. Instead, what you can do is pick one unit with the corrupted engine subtype. It does not form the same force organization spot as the Pravian, it must be bought with its force orgs position. The unit does gain the Legionis Astartes X special rule that the Pravian has, but it cannot be given any war gear or any additional options. The rule specifically says that if you bring one Pravian or if you bring three, you can still only bring in one such corrupted engine unit no matter what, so no way to game around that. So, one of these can be taken for a Space Marine list if you are going to uh, do so. Uh, However, for the rest, Mechanicum, Standard Mechanicum, this is just a way to finally get some Dark Mechanicum style units. So, we have the Corrupted Engine subtype, and we need to pay attention to these rules. So, all models with the Corrupted Engine subtype gain Fear 1, or if it already has Fear, then it increases by 1 instead. Any rule effect that would affect a model with Corrupted Unit subtype also affects a Corrupted Engine Unit subtype. So, for example, the Anathema subtype special rules, or the Inexorable special rule. Any unit composed entirely of models with the Corrupted Engine subtype is immune to the effects of fear, automatically passes regroup checks, cannot fail a morale check due to our weapons are useless. In addition to that, a Corrupted Engine, when it does uh, fail a morale check, doesn't fall back, but follows the standard demon rule of suffering d3 automatic wounds with no saves or damage mitigations allowed at all. Any hits inflicted on a model with the corrupted engine unit subtype with the force or psychic focus special rule gains instant death, which is cool. In addition to that, however, all corrupted engines natively get protection against instant death, equal to what the standard dreadnought gets with its automatic deflector, which means that if it's struck by something with instant death, it instead of dying loses d3 wounds no model that does not also have corrupted engine subtype may join a unit that does that doesn't so basically these guys are stuck on their own provided that there's not some future idea later that allows them to be joined by something else but they cannot they're on their own so as stated this is a rule set that is actually primarily designed for the Mechanica And so there is a new Arcana, Cyberthurgic Arcana, that is available to these armies. So Anima Malefica is, I guess, the default Dark Mechanicum power so far. It has two powers. The first one is the Animatus Malevolence, and the second is the Amthea Excrucius. As with the standard from the other from Mechanicum before, basically, one one of the powers is going to be some sort of buff or effect, and the other one is going to be a weapon. Animatus Malevolence is the buff and it allows you to forego a shooting attack to target a single friendly unit within 12 inches that is entirely composed of models with the corrupted engine subtype. Then you can apply one of the following effects. That unit can immediately move a number of inches up to its unmodified initiative characteristic directly towards the nearest unit. All models in the unit improve their invulnerable save by 1 to a maximum of 3+, plus until the start of that controlling player's next turn or all models in the unit add one to their weapon skill and initiative characteristic until the end of the subsequent assault phase. So the way this works is the player can choose to just make this go off, and you can get one of those. However, you can do a cyberthergy check, um, very similar to the way you would do a leadership test for a uh, psychic power, and if successful, then you can have two of them. If the check has failed, then you get nothing, and you suffer a cyberthergic feedback. The weapon is really interesting. The Amthea Crucius is range 18, strength 5, AP 3, assault 3, blind, deflagrate, and then the cyberthergic focus, which it says that you have to make the cyberthergic check before you can use the power. If it's passed, then it works, and if it doesn't, then you suffer feedback and you don't get to shoot the ability. Strength 5, AP 3, assault 3 with deflagrate means that you are pretty likely to cause or remove a couple of to cause a couple of wounds to three plus save models the deflagrate and strength five you're more like you're pretty likely to roll an additional one so with a a presuming a model with ballistic skill five hitting on twos you're pretty likely to cause i would say three removals Uh, you could sort of expect something around that in addition to that, the blind check is something that's fun if it's you know not necessarily super likely to happen, but the ability to apply it and cause somebody to check, pretty great as well. I'd rate both of these powers pretty highly, especially the Animatus Malevolence, because increasing an invulnerable save and then adding one to weapon skill and initiative, so swinging faster, swinging better, and having a better save, that's pretty great. There is overlap here as well, and this is something that's really interesting in addition is that we are still talking about etheric dominions, which are basically the classifications that demons get to use. And two of those have been brought over from the Bound Demon PDF that came out about five months ago. The first is Heedless Slaughter, and the second is the Malevolent Artifice. In this book, Malevolent Artifice reads, models with this special rule may re-roll all failed armor saves taken against wounds resolved at a strength value lower than their toughness characteristic, This special rule has no effect on cover saves or invulnerable saves. Now, this is the exact same wording as the Bound Demons PDF, and so nothing to to remark there. It's a really fantastic power, and if you go back and listen to the episode of my podcast where I talked about this when it first came out, which I have linked below, you will note that I rated this one pretty highly. I thought people would use this one pretty consistently. Demons, the Bound Demons in that book, had a base toughness of 5, which means that against most or all small arms, you're basically getting a chance to reroll regular armor saves, which is just fantastic. What's interesting here is the fact that Heedless Slaughter is different in this PDF than it is in the uh, Bound Demons PDF. In the pdf released today, a heedless slaughter says that a unit composed entirely of models with a special rule has to declare a charge of able when they begin the assault phase within eight inches of an enemy unit. If there is more than one eligible target, the controlling player may choose which of the charges to make so long as they're within eight, and it specifically says this doesn't negate the standard shooting requirements that go along with charges, aka if you shot one unit, that is the unit that you have to charge. So, still there is a way to try to shoot something that's farther than eight inches uh, away, you know, basically make it so that you can't charge something that's closer, so there's the way to game around that. The next paragraph, though, is the one that's changed. Additionally, a unit composed of any models of this special rule gains a plus one value to any charge rolls, and a plus one to the score used to determine if they win a combat in the assault phase. and a plus one value for any roll to determine the result of a sweeping advance. Now, in the... I was pretty harsh on this etheric dominion before because uh, it did not have that plus one to charge before. There was a requirement of charging within inches and you did get a plus one to determine combat resolution in the assault phase and you'd get a plus one for your sweeping advance. So, The addition of a plus one to charge, I think, makes this etheric dominion much, much, much better, and it would be really interesting for people to see or talk about, or, I mean, I wonder... uh, I mean, we don't get FAQs really frequently, so uh, we'll just have to wait and see what happens when the uh, mythical demon PDF full Demons of the Rune Storm comes out, but I wonder which version of this is going to happen, because they've rewritten this rule already in five months and we haven't even seen the main book yet. Like I said, the plus one to charge here makes this much better than it was before. It was actually pretty harsh on Heedless Slaughter. I didn't think it was all that great. Um, but, because uh, I thought it was a pretty strong restriction, a pretty heavy restriction and benefits that were okay, um, especially when compared to other things. Not only do you not have many, that many options in here because the PDF only uh, connects those corrupted engines to two of the etheric dominions, but heedless the Slaughter is just better in this one. So, awesome, way to go. We will talk a little bit later about why that matters and how different combinations and things like that are gonna come together. Um, but first, let's get onto the units. So there are four new profiles for us to talk about here and options that you can take and there are a number of new weapons that go along with those things. Now, most of these are Forge World models that I, I don't even know if they really get play in 40k anymore. I think they might be Legends or maybe not even. I think think some of them have even just not been discussed at all in 10th edition. So, all you old heads with these things sitting around, rejoice! Heresy is still, again, proven to be the place for you. So the first thing we're going to talk about is the Catan Demon Engine. And that is the uh, hilarious, tall, basically uh, world leader space marine that is actually a knight. Um, And that is filling in the Lord of War spot. So the Catan Demon engine is 420 points, which is not free. Um, It has a movement 14, weapon skill 6, ballistic skill 3, strength 9, front armor uh, 13, side 12, and rear 12. It is initiative 4, attacks 4, and has 8 hull points. Now the combination here, uh, the, the composition of the unit is just one, and it has the unit types Knight and Corrupted Engine. It has arm-mounted Catan Gatling Cannons, it has a Cleaver of Slaughter, and it has a number of special rules. Flank Speed, Etheric Dominion Heatless Slaughter, so it's specifically tied there, which all of these units are specifically tied to an Etheric Dominion. Hammer of Wrath 4... So you're getting four Hammer of Wrath Strikes at Strength 9, that's not bad. Rampage D3, Malefic Aegis 5+, and Traitor. The Malefic Aegis is an invulnerable save, does not stack with other invulnerable saves, but can benefit from rules such as Cyber Familiar that specifically increase existing saves. Interestingly enough, the invulnerable saves on these demon engines are better than the uh, invulnerable saves this standard demons get, which are not allowed to be taken against force weapons. I suppose there's an interesting trade-off here where while demons have the ethereal invulnerability rule, which gives them an invulnerable save that is negated by force weapons, uh, the demon engines still get to take their saves, however, every wound is going to cause d3 wounds because of that instant death rule so just a comparison point to note and uh to think about so let's talk about the stats here and and the the effectiveness of this unit so it's got a movement of 14 means that it is already getting a plus three bonus to its charge rolls because of its speed when you attack on the heedless slaughter special rule from the etheric dominion you're getting an additional plus plus one so this model is moving 14 inches and then has a plus four for its charge this means that you can effectively make up to a 12 inch charge on an eight which is pretty nuts a standard charge of a seven is only only requires a three for you to hit so this thing is going to very comfortably be able to move uh, and very likely going to be able to move 14 and charge um, you know, move and charge up to 21 inches without necessarily worrying too much about it. What's interesting here is that the Weapon Skill 6 is, I believe, better than any knight that exists, so this Demon Engine is the best knight melee in the game currently, which makes sense since it's possessed by the spirit of the god of battle and slaughter, but whatever. And the Cleaver of Slaughter is no joke. It's a Strength 10, AP 2, Melee, Brutal 3, and Shred weapon with its four attacks five on the charge i mean i don't know that you're really going to want to use a 420 point 420 point model to just try to kill like a command squad or something i suppose you could it's got eight hull points it's pretty tough weapon skill six but um oh shoot it's got rampage so interesting rules interaction here with the knight type and anything else despite the fact that you're you've got like a 12 inch tall model here on the board knights do not count as any more than one model for the purposes of outnumbering they have no variation of the bulky rule they are not like vehicles which count as 10 it is not specifically stated in their rules same with dreadnoughts they are just one model as far as outnumbering goes same with jet bikes with bikes this edition that means that this Giant towering monstrosity is provided it's charging more than one model, will always get its extra rampage attacks, which is a little silly. Now, it's not just a pretty face and a uh, really big axe, it also has that sweet gatling cannon, which is essentially a Punisher cannon from the Sakaran Punisher. It is a 36 inch range, strength 6, a- AP 4, heavy 18 pinning, and shell shock weapon. Now, admittedly, you're only Ballistic Skill 3, so you should expect to make no more than nine of these shots connect. However, with Strength 6, you should be wounding most standard infantry on a 2+, and have a pretty good shot of having them take a wound, which means taking a pinning check at a minus one. Now, Knights can fire weapons at different targets, um, although you only have one here, so it doesn't really matter. You can move out of combat and shoot your gun per normal. Knights do still have a requirement though, that they must be able to charge something that they have shot at. This isn't as big of a deal with most knights because they've got multiple guns, so you just make sure you keep one gun to shoot at the target you're going to charge at. This is a problem for the Catan, except For the flank speed rule. The flank speed rule says that a model with this special rule can increase its movement by four in any movement phase, but if it does so it can't make shooting attacks in the subsequent shooting phase. So this model could be even faster, up to an 18 inch movement. That's insane. This model still can charge in the assault phase after that move, so 18 inches plus your charge with a plus 4 to move. That's bonkers. In addition, when declaring a charge after making a shooting attack, a model with this special rule may charge a unit that it did not target in that turn's shooting phase, provided the target of the charge meets all the other criteria of a valid charge. You can, with the flank speed rule that the Catan has, either skip your shooting phase just to go four inches farther if you really need to close the distance, or you can shoot at something and then use your charge to charge something different. So a lot of versatility just for this model. Again, with that extra rampage, the regular four attacks plus D3s, you're gonna be throwing a fair amount of damage into something. So taking this unit and throwing it into a medium powered Death Star or something, uh, and doing a lot of killing, I think it could actually be pretty effective. This is a model that I could actually see making its points back just because of its ability to move across the board, the nice combination of its weapons, all that sort of stuff. Definitely one that I would consider using if I had the spot for it. It is a Lord of War choice, but it's pretty cheap at 420 points. It has all the standard protections that a knight has. It's got better weapon skill than usual, and because it's a single model weapon skill 6, then even fighting against command squads or whatever, those command squads are going to be hitting back at you not as effectively as they'd want to otherwise. I rate this one very highly. The next up is the Greater Brass Scorpion, which I have to admit is one of the coolest-looking models in the 40k range, Um, and I'm glad that we can throw some on the board in 30k as well. So the Greater Brass Scorpion is 440 points. It is also a knight. It has movement 10 Weapon skill 5, ballistic skill 4, strength 9, front side armor of 13, and a rear of 12. It has 4 initiative, 3 attacks, 8 hell points. Um, it again comes in a unit of 1, has the same subtypes, vehicle, and corrupted engine. It's got a whole bunch of guns, though, and some claws. Now let's take a look at its war gear. It has a turret-mounted scorpion cannon, a central line-mounted despoiler cannon, two hull-front-mounted Hellmaw cannons, true two Hellcrusher cannons, and two Hellcrusher claws. I want to point out that it does not say in this entry that the uh, extra attacks for the Hellcrusher claws has been included in this profile, so my assumption would be that this model has um, an additional attack coming, so a base of four before charging. It does have the special rule, Heedless Slaughter, so it is getting an additional plus one to charge. It is only movement 10, so that Heedless Slaughter is going to double its charge bonus from a plus one to a plus two, which is pretty good. Now, speaking of those claws, we'll just go ahead and start with that, because melee is the name of the game, isn't it, folks? Well, maybe not entirely. So the Hellcrusher claws are Strength 10, AP 2, Melee Brutal 2, and Sunder. So, where uh, the Cleaver of Slaughter had Shred so you could re-roll, this one actually seems not only efficient at squishing um, little multi-wound infantry, but strength 10 with Sunder means that it's going to have a very easy time punching through the armor of even armor value 14 models. So this is pretty good. Um, It's got enough attacks, and it's AP2. You could, I mean, you could, you could hull out quite a few things, especially if you're looking at a Land Raider or a Spartan. It's lost a couple of hits from something else along the way. Scorpion Cannon has range 30 inches. It is strength five, AP four, assault nine, pinning, and shred. So the reroll on on, uh, wounds, the shred is pretty nice because this is only a strength five weapon. So wounding on threes most of the time against standard infantry. Or threes are better with a reroll pretty nice assault mine and pinning you are losing out eight shots or nine shots sorry when compared to the gun of the Catan. but the scorpion has a better ballistic skill so you are gonna make some of that back a little bit um, in the fact that you're hitting more regularly a gun like this assault mine you can count on hitting six times a count on approximately four to five wounds causing your opponent at least against uh, standard marines so definitely you can probably count on causing a pin or you can hope to cause a pin every time this thing shoots not bad at all not as effective as the shell shock before but again still pretty good now it also gets a spoiler cannon a 24 inch range strength 10 ap3 ordnance 1 blast 3 sunder rending 5 plus and brutal 3 so, wow, that's a lot of rules. Um, Sunder to to reroll the reroll armor penetration on a strength 10 weapon is, is really great. Uh, Brutal 3 is absolutely nuts, considering you're putting that together with an AP 3 weapon already and uh, rending 5 up. That's really, really good. It's a blast weapon. It's ordnance. So, there, there's just a lot going on with this gun. Only a 24-inch range, but... On a platform this tough you feel like you can actually get close enough to use it now the Helmont cannons are template weapons strength 7 ap4 assault ones but they have torrent six inches so you can move this around a little bit to get as many infantry as possible what this means is that the scorpion actually has a number of weapons that can do some pretty devastating things to infantry both causing a lot of wounds on massed infantry and also putting the fear into power-armored infantry or even uh, multi-wound tough infantry as well. Very effective shooting, I think. For 440 points, again, I mean, it's it's pretty it's pretty tough. It's got eight hull points. It has a five-plus invulnerable save, and it still has that rampage. It still has hammer of wrath. Four. I like this one as well. It's less effective in melee combat directly against big stuff, perhaps. What's interesting about this is even though it's only Weapon Skill 5 as opposed to Weapon Skill 6, the fact that its attacks have sunder instead of shred uh, means that it's much more effective against vehicles um, with that chance to reroll. And so I think that the Great Brass Scorpion may be a better all-around choice if you're looking for um, one of those demonic centerpieces for your army. Okay, now we have two of the smaller options, and these ones uh, can actually fit into a standard force organization chart, and that's going to be important. We'll talk about those in a minute. So the one that I'm the most intrigued by, I have to admit, is the Blood Slaughterer, which is a silly name, but it's 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 still there. It's fine. Okay, so the Blood Slutterer is a 110-point model. It occupies a fast attack choice, and you can include up to two additional Blood Slutterers for an additional 110 points apiece. So 330 points for the max squad, three of these. Their movement is nine, their weapon skill is five, ballistic skill is three, strength and toughness of six, five wounds, three initiative, four attacks, Leadership 9, and a 3-plus save. They are dreadnoughts, and they have the Corrupted Engine subtype. They have two Slaughterer Blades for weapons. In addition, they are also keyed to Heedless Slaughter. They have Furious Charge 1, so they, on the charge, they're going to get an additional strength. They have Hit and Run. They have a 6-plus Invulnerable save through their Malefic Aegis. They have Move through Cover and they're trader marked, as you would expect. Now there's only one war gear option that changes here on these, and that is um, that you can add an impaler harpoon. If you do choose to swap out an impaler harpoon and it replaces one of the slaughter blades, then the model's attacks are gonna be dropped from four to three. However, I still think you might consider doing this on just one of your uh, models just in case. Why? Because of the Impaler gun itself. The Impaler Harpoon is only 12-inch range, but it's Strength 6 and AP 3, and it has it's Heavy 1, which doesn't matter because it's on a dreadnought, and it has the Impale special rule. And Impale says that a unit may reroll charge rolls when attempting to charge a unit that has suffered one or more hits from a weapon with the Impale special rules caused by one or more models in the unit for which the charge was declared. This takes effect even if no wounds are caused by the hits. If one or more wounds are caused by a weapon with this special rule, then the affected unit decreases its initiative characteristic by one until the end of the subsequent assault phase. Okay re-rolling charges is excellent um these are keyed into the heedless slaughter subtype so you will be getting a plus one for your movement because of your movement nine you're getting an additional plus one because of your heedless slaughter so now you're getting a plus two to your charge if you hit which admittedly is only going to happen on a four plus if you hit with that harpoon now you get a chance to re-roll with a plus two on your charge If you cause a wound, then the initiative of the target unit you're going after is going to drop by 1. Now, why is that great? Well, the slaughterers are only initiative 3. So you have a chance to strike simultaneously. Now, I don't know what exactly you're going to be throwing these things at, because they are still Toughness 6 with 5 wounds apiece, so it's not like they're going to get chopped down by a whole bunch of different things, that they're worried so much, necessarily about so they're worried so much necessarily about like striking first however it is pretty interesting to consider the best thing i think is the charge bonus reroll now let's talk about those slaughterer blades the Slaughterer blades are no joke they're strength user ap3 with a melee rending six plus so against anything with a two plus armor save these guys are going to be a little bit hit or miss you're going to be forcing a lot of saves but they're not necessarily uh, going to be doing a ton of work if you're banking on those Wrens. However, AP3 means that these guys will absolutely chunk big squads of, let's say, tactical marines, blocks of despoilers, assault marines, or things like that. So pretty darn good. Now last up, moving up, we're gonna come back to the, bl- the blood slaughterers in a minute, why I like them so much. Um, we're gonna get through all the units first. The last one on the list is the Decimator, and the Decimator is a hefty 265 points. It is one in its unit. It's dreadnought. It has the heavy special rule, so it can't run. Um, It does have the corrupted engine, as of course. And it comes with two decimator siege claws with inbuilt heavy flamers. It's special rules. This is the only one with the Etheric Dominion Malevolent Artifice. It has Hammer of Wrath 2 Furious Charge 2, Malefic Aegis 5+, Move-Through Cover, and Traitor. So a Decimator may exchange either of its Decimator Siege Claws for a Butcher Cannon or a Soul Burner Petard. So the Butcher Cannon is exactly as you would expect from the equivalent that we're looking at here, which is a Leviathan. It's a Strength 7, AP 4, Heavy 3, Rending 6+, and Twin-Linked weapon. So, it's good. Three shots, 48-inch range. Uh, you only have a ballistic skill four on this thing, so the twin link is even better, etc., etc. The Soul Burner is a twenty-four inch range, strength six, AP four, heavy one, blast three, breaching five up, and flesh bane. So this is kind of interesting because it's strength six, but it still has a flesh bane on it. Whatever the point is, that it's going to wound and in its small blast pretty decently. Um, and flesh bane means that you're very likely to cause some wounds. There's nothing necessarily fantastic about that, but it is, you know, it's its own thing. Now, the Decimeter Siege Claw is uh, Strength User, AP2, Melee, and Brutal 3. So keep in mind that if this thing charges, it has Furious Charge 2. So you're talking about Strength 10, Brutal 3, which is very wild. It's got five attacks base. That does include the additional attack from having two weapons, which would be dropped if you do take a gun with one of these. I don't think that I would. Um, Now, keep in mind the fact that because this thing has toughness seven, and when you combine that with a Malevolent Artifice, if you're trying to shoot at this with anything, strength six or lower, then you're gonna get to reroll those two plus armor saves. So you can absolutely forget about Volkite uh, trying to chunk through one of these things. You can absolutely forget about uh, trying to tear it down with bolters or whatever. It's going to take heavy weapons to get the job done. Now, the big problem, of course, is that this is a heavy support slot. So depending on your list, that's going to be a pretty competitive sort of thing. So maybe it'll work, maybe it won't for you, but it's a pretty nice unit, and that added additional malevolent artifice is is extra durable. So very clearly, these are designed to be used in the Mechanicum book, and are designed to be a way for you to begin to represent that dark Mechanicum army Hopefully this means we're going to get more of this. I don't know. I guess I won't hold my breath because I've been holding it for a year for the rest of the Demons book. Shout out to Sean from Omaha who almost had a hernia when he first read Demons something being released by Games Workshop today and then found out it wasn't the Demons of the Ruinstorm PDF. Anyway. I think the important thing to realize about this release for Mechanicum is just how important it is as far as the ability to find models that actually have weapon skill 5 and include them within the range. Previous to this point, there is essentially no way to even get to match the level of a base elite melee force in the Adeptus Astartes. It was entirely shooting. Uh, Models that were useful last edition for such a thing were really hamstrung by the fact that they were weapon skill for. Now, uh, Dark Mechanicum essentially has access to the best melee level uh, knight in the game, hands down, the Catan. The ability to supplement these in with some of your lists is going to be absolutely beneficial, at least if you're playing Traders, and is really gonna add a huge breadth of options to your army. I really, really like this, especially for the ability to actually have a valuable There are melee units here that actually have the ability to do something for Mechanicum players, that's great. But it's not just Mechanicum players who are gonna reap the benefits of this. What's interesting though, of course, is the fact that you can add additional rules onto this through the employment of the Paravian. Now, anytime you can take a unit and then just beginning to add additional templates on top of it or additional rule sets, you have the opportunity to create really strange and interesting interactions. Sometimes this sort of thing ends up broken, sometimes it ends just sort of dumb, but I just wanted to talk about some of the different ways that you can combine these concepts together based upon the legionus Astartes and, in fact, also the Bound Demons PDF that we've already seen. I want to very quickly go over the trader-aligned armies, traditionally trader armies, and how I think I might include one of these based on those legion traits. So, first off, with the Emperor's Children, getting a plus one initiative on the charge, even a disordered charge, would be very good for a lot of these units. It'd be good for the Blood Slaughterers, who already only have an initiative of three, so getting a plus one. And with the uh, Impaler, uh, Blood Slaughterer of the Emperor's Children, which hits and wounds with a, an Impaler, is going to be able to strike at an initiative four over other things which have been dropped down to initiative three. Pretty effective little ability. Honestly, striking at one faster initiative would be fine for just about any of these things. All of these units also make sense, honestly, with an Iron Warriors list. The Brass Scorpion, getting a plus one to strength on all of its guns with middling strength to be able to take out um, mid-armor vehicles or dreadnoughts or the like. It's pretty nice. The fact that you can get a plus one to strike on all these various attacks against vehicles. Anything that has been striking at strength 10, striking at strength 11 is just even more likely statistically guaranteed. You're getting closer to a statistical guarantee that you're going to be able to pen whatever armor you're punching and do some damage. Pretty good for the Bloodslaughterers as well because their Strength 6 base is good, but not necessarily good enough to really feel like you've got a chance to throw enough wounds on something of a Dreadnought caliber to take it down. As so many of these are melee focused, again... The plus one attack that you are going to be gaining from using them as a world leader is particularly good, especially on the, for example, Slaughterers, but plus one attack on three models in a unit, theoretically. Pretty great. However, it's also very good on the super heavies who are going to be light on attacks. One additional attack at strength two, uh, AP two with Brutal. Uh, it's pretty darn nice. It's going to go a nice long way. It makes sense for such early adopters of the Demonic, the Sons of Horus, to have a pretty good synergy with these units. Given that their legion power is a minus one to strength of attacks coming at them in the first round of close combat, um, all of these vehicles being high toughness and multi wounds or multi hull points, um, that's pretty great. That's pretty fantastic. The uh, for the none of them are vehicles, so none of them get the auto hits, and I believe unless someone can tell me I'm wrong, that means that uh, the minus one strength should also work for the knight variants as well so if that's the case then all of these are pretty darn effective in particular i like this for the blood slaughterers though for another reason um the blood slaughterers if you take them with a paravian and you put them into a standard uh, force organization chart they count as fast attack choices now one of the things you're really wanting to do Uh, with one of the Rites of War the Sons of Horus has, the Black Reaving. I think I've talked about it before when I was uh, posting my commentary on the Inducti, which I will link below. But essentially, the Sons of Horus have one Rite of War called the Black Reaving, which incentivizes uh, taking Reavers as troop choices and giving them a line, but they're special elite units um, the, the other thing about that right of war is that it encourages you to take many small units together because if you charge the same enemy unit with more than one unit, then the second unit that charges gets rage too, which is two different attacks. So not only do you want to have lots of units that are charging, um, but you want to have you know those high weapon skill units. Now, the inducti synergize well with this because they have a rule that incentivizes them to charge while within six inches of a Sons of Horus unit that has high weapon skill. And on top of that, the Black Reaving requires fast attack choices and this fills that spot. One thing that's a real negative or a real downer about this is the Black Reaving already has an HQ tax of a Master of Signals. So now you're adding an additional HQ of a Praebian to this just to bring this extra unit and the Pravian really won't fit in a lot of other places depending on how you're building this, Um, but it is sort of an interesting idea or option. The other thing that's really interesting and one of the ideas that i had when it first came out and again hopefully something that uh, gw will clean up whenever they release the actual demons of the ruined storm pdf kabanda actually has two profiles right now one which is what came out with him when his model first popped and then the next uh which is his bound kabanda rule for being summoned onto the board he has different rules. They've, they vary in a couple different ways, one of which is the fact that he um, has access to two different etheric dominions, depending on which version of him you take. So, let's say you do take the... Um, the heedless slaughter is what is attached to him if you take him as Bound Kabanda, and Bound Kabanda, if he is the, the warlord of your force and he is allowed to take the warlord of your force, even if he is not part of the primary detachment of your force, then he gives all units within 12 inches of him, that is all units with the heedless slaughter, etheric domain, um, at rage three. So they get three additional attacks. So if you just think about that, that means that the blood slaughterers on the charge have eight attacks a model, seven if you have one of them with an impaler, um, which is a lot of attacks. Now. If you instead take him as his standard Kabanda rules, he has a different rule altogether. First off, it's not tied to his Warlord trait, Um, but instead, within 12 inches, all models gain plus one to their Rage and plus one to their Rampage. Which is interesting then because it goes on to note that this affects the Crimson Fury Etheric Domain, which as far as we know doesn't exist anymore or never existed because the full rulebook has not come out. So anyway, this is complicated. The point is that if you use this Rite of War and you bring Kabanda, and you also bring either the Inducti or you bring the Special Blood Slaughterers, depending on how you build it, um, you can grant and buff those models accordingly. You can't do both though, because depending on the profile that you choose, it affects either one or the other. I like the idea of bringing Kabanda in an allied detachment of bound demons and then using them to supplement the heedless slaughter for the blood slaughterers. I think that's pretty fun, but the problem is going to be that not only are you playing all sorts of shenanigans with organizing your force lord chart to make that happen, but on top of that you have to satisfy the requirements of summoning because you need to have psychers who can summon Kabanda, which means probably esoterists. You also need Of course to buy a Pravian so that you can include this demon unit in your army. Will it happen all the time? No. Could it happen once or twice and be a really cool way of getting more demons on the board, at least until GW finally just gives us the free PDF that they quote have been just putting finishing touches on since like January? Yeah, it's definitely kind of a cool option. Humorously enough, I think that the Alpha Legion also have kind of an interesting argument to make for the inclusion of one of these models. The ability to be considered two inches farther away as far as charges or declared powers or things like that is is pretty great especially considering that these models are going to have a natural vulnerability to psychic powers. Many psychic powers are pretty short range, so by increasing that distance of two inches away, if your opponents smart up and start bringing librarians or other esoterists to try to take you down, this is going to help you out a little bit. Also, it's going to help you because that extra two inches of distance, if you are not able to make the charge like you wanted to the first turn, or if you just know it's not quite going to be, Uh, Quite right. You can, you know, for example, depending on what you're going against, uh, put yourself at just about the right range to make a guaranteed charge for next turn while being pretty confident that the additional two inches that you are creating in that space isn't going to be as easy for your opponent to bridge as opposed to what you're able to do. Sadly, I don't think the Night Lords, the Death Guard, the Thousand Sons, or uh, even honestly the Word Bearers have a lot going for them when including these things. The Word Bearers have like maybe the best argument for that plus one uh, to wound resolution, depending. But that's really not nearly as powerful or potent as other things. Not as good as I'd like it to be, considering um, you know Word Bearers definitely are the ones that should be including these things. I think that if I were a word-bearer player, I might do it anyway, just because, like I said, it's it's what the lore demands. There are also some Loyalist Legions that have interesting rules combinations, and honestly, a couple of them that it actually kind of makes sense to consider, depending on the narrative you're playing, what time period you're playing in the heresy, or maybe you're doing alt-heresy, that sort of thing. In particular, I think it's fun to think about using Dark Angels for this. I know that's like the the go-to Gotham. Uh, you know what really annoys me? I've said this before. Do you know what legions have, loyalist legions have cool trader only warlord traits? The White Scars do. The Iron Hands do. do. You know who doesn't? The freaking Dark Angels. That really makes me mad. Anyway, so Dark Angels, your ability to add a Hexagramadon to one of these guys, um, pretty great option in a couple of situations. Uh, especially considering the fact that there are a couple of rites of war that you can take with the Dark Angels that get benefits depending upon the mark that you include with them. So you're not going to get anything for using the Stormwing mark because it specifically attaches to bolters, and unless you get a friend who's willing to let you get a point on the argument about blades for the Deathwing, you're not going to be able to get a plus one to hit, although that would be so sick. I'd let it happen. But anyway, some of the other options are still pretty interesting. Considering the high level of toughness on a lot of these models, giving Dreadwing subtypes so that Flame, Plasma, Volkite, and phosphex weapons have a minus one strength coming towards them, and then all poisoned weapons need a plus one better to wound. I guess plus one worse to wound than before. That's not bad, especially if you were considering combining it, for example, with the Eschaton Imperative Rite of War, not only would you be getting that additional toughness coming towards you, but anyone who is inside Dangerous Terrain, you're getting a plus one to wound. Also, these models would be ignoring Dangerous Terrain themselves as they scuttle through things. Not bad. Adding the Ravenwing only gets you a plus one to run, which is kind of underwhelming in a lot of situations, but... Iron Wing and Firewing don't look so bad to me. Firewing itself is not necessarily that great, a plus one to wound when attacking a unit that contains at least one model with an independent character's special rule. Now, if there are some other, like, shenanigans going on with the wound differential or whatever, this could come in handy. But it also ends up being pretty neat, for example, if you end up taking it alongside something like the Serpent's Bane Rite of War. Serpent's Bane is the one where you declare three priority targets, and anyone who has at least one model in its unit with the Firewing subtype gets a plus one to hit, against those units, which means that if you're going to use these, uh like for example, Blood Slaughterers, to specifically charge after one of those targeted units, having a plus one to hit and a plus one to wound if there happens to be an independent character in there, sounds not so bad itself either. Iron Wing itself, re-rolling ones to hit against vehicles or dreadnoughts isn't bad at all either. Um, less so for something like the Blood Slaughterers but pretty great for the big knights if you're going up against, um, dreadnoughts, or if you're going to have to use them to chunk down, like, a super heavy tank, or a big transport to try to get at the soft little bits inside. Also, again, like I said, I think it's pretty cool to consider. The Caliban Dark Angels for sure are summoning demons by the time the end of things goes around, so there's no reason to say that they couldn't have the demon engines around. The other big option, of course, is Iron Hands, um, especially considering, I mean, the These are already very durable, but the ability to have a reduction of shooting attacks coming towards them of one for strength is just absolutely nuts. They would be really strong as well. And I guess in the lore there are there are trader iron hands, so it makes sense to consider that, if that's something you've done for yourself in the lore, or, as I know some people are doing, if you're interested in any of the old heresy sort of stuff. Now, in addition to this, I think it's important, I just want to stress again, that if you are trying to combine a legionus astardis list putting one of these units in and then combining it with Kabanda, for example, uh, you're going to be getting a plus three to attacks. This, however, will only specifically work with the Blood Slaughterers, because Kabanda is already a Lord of War and so you cannot take any of the super heavies um, and the Decimator is does not have the right Etheric Dominion so it doesn't work but it is a unique combination, which I think could be fun if that's something you're already leaning towards building. Well, that about wraps up my summary. I think I've gone over everything. What do you think about this PDF? Are you excited about it? Please let me know, and uh, let me know if you want to see more Demon content going forward. The last thing I really want to say is that after letting it sit for a week, I'm still pretty high on the Blood Slaughterer's potential, especially when combined or, you know, placed in a standard just what would be Dark Mechanicum list, but I am also pretty high on the Decimator. I think I don't think we can oversell quite quite so much how important with certain lists it could be to have a dreadnought, a, a Contemptor dreadnought equivalent, you know. And even then, you know, sacrificing a heavy support slot choice for one of these things is not necessarily a bad thing, especially when well, it depends on how you're building in what other way. I don't think it shows up well in a lot of lists, but I do think it shows up decently in this one. I Like I said, though, the Blood Slaughterer, because of its speed, because of its placement in the fast attack choice, I think that's really, really fantastic. And I think people will probably, if you're going for Trader Mechanicum, I think, I think they will look for... I think these might be kind of a popular choice, I guess is all I'm trying to say. I saw a lot of negativity online, though, about this PDF uh, right after it came out and a lot of people were really pointing out that, honestly, it was just the same sort of thing that I was seeing about the people talking about Lords of War in general. So I, I guess I want to point one thing out about the Kaitan and also the Breath Scorpion. Regarding these, these Lords of War choices that you can include um, in your armies, I don't think that they are going to break the game in any way, shape, or form. But I do think that, on average, they're probably better than the other options that other lists have for non-Primarch models. Some Primarchs are way better than any of these things as far as force multipliers, their effectiveness and ability on the field, stuff like that. But as far as, like, when comparing it to, like, other, like, super heavy tanks, for example, I would, I would take any of these against, like, for example, a Fellblade definitely better than the kytan is is definably better at melee than i think any knight in the game so it's just taking if the concern is the fact that the the lord of boar spot is just not that effective for the price that many of these models are in the game then that's that is not just a mechanicum specific problem that's like a that's like a a system-wide problem currently and so i still think i'm pretty high on them for the fact that I, i like having that visual centerpiece of my army, and so I still think I rate them pretty highly. That's it for this time. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Drop a tip if you can, but again, most importantly, really need your help filling out that survey so I've got something to talk about with my video upcoming in a couple weeks. Um, Thank you so much again. I appreciate all of you, and we'll see you soon.